This is Time Signatures with Jim Irvin, a podcast and radio program presented by the Capital Area Blues Society in Lansing, Michigan. Most any contemporary musical style can trace its roots back to the blues. Time Signatures explores the blues and its musical connections with captivating interviews, lively discussions, and news from the world of the blues. And now, here he is, your host, Jim Irvin. Yes, yes, I am home. Thank you so much, Parker. Appreciate that. And welcome to Time Signatures. My next guest on the show today got his first taste of the blues in the early 90s in the muddy potato fields of Idaho. His buddy Tom Moore introduced him to the Junior Wells and Buddy Guy classic, Hoodoo Man Blues. Following that moment, he and his friend formed a band which is still regarded as legendary in the Boise region known as Fat John and the Three Slims. It wasn't long before our guest began began recording and releasing his own music, and the rest, as they say, is history. History, I might add, that we will discuss in length. John Namath, welcome to Time Signatures. Good to be on the show, man. Thanks for having me. We are really glad to have you, and you know, there's so many layers to this onion that the best way to start is just to, we're going to begin on the outside and kind of work our way in. Is that fair enough? Yeah, man. Okay, great. Now, I would love to hear the story of how your friend Tom let you hear Hoodoo Man Blues that very first time. Uh, talk about that, because prior to that moment, you were actually more interested in the hip-hop and rock scene, weren't you? Yeah, yeah, I was. Um, he was taking some lessons from a guitar player in town. And uh, the guitar player gave him this uh, record. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was on a mixtape, actually, it was, or just a, not a mixtape, but a, a bootleg cassette tape. Okay, a little compilation, like? No, I'm sorry, it wasn't a compilation. It was it was the whole album of Hoodoo Man Blues. Gotcha. Yeah, and I I I, I took it back home, and and uh, I used to listen to music in the basement. Uh, of the house because my uh, my dad really hated rock and roll and blues and <laughs> jazz. I mean, with a passion. Okay. And so I, I'd listen to it in the basement. So I remember like taking that record downstairs and putting it on the headphones, having a swig of moonshine. <laughs> and uh, because I had a spill in, in, in my house growing up. Oh, wow. That's my kind of family. Right, right. Uh, and, and I had a spill in the basement of the house. So I had a swig of moonshine and, and put that record on. And, oh, man, it just resonated with me. I don't know. Everything about the album just captivated me. I was trying to figure out, you know, what are these songs about? Mm-hmm snatch it back and hold it baby one more time i ain't doing too bad baby i got you on my mind you know that that was the first song on the record was snatch it back and hold it Mm -hmm. what in the world is it talking about great imagery of tunes the next song was like a ships on the ocean a song about you know a love that feels like it's lost at sea and hoodoo man blues somebody done tried to hoodoo the hoodoo man that was a wild tune to think about you know the the hoodoo man getting hoodooed oh yeah and chitlin's con carney was on there and uh junior wells harmonica playing i mean man he was one of the baddest dudes that ever lived and rarely copied because he's just he's just too damn cool it's really hard to cop his cool he's that cool and he played chitlin's con carne on that album and and that really blew my mind he's also playing harmonica with like just his, his rhythm and his groove was just so soulful and mm-hmm. captivating and it was a small band it was guitar, which the guitar player was Buddy Guy, and then this bass player named Jack Myers uh, on the album. 
that guy's a very progressive blues bass player. So the music was very progressive, and the drummer was like the drummer was like a like a jazz player that w- could play with like Ray Charles is is great okay. at like boogaloo and things like that. Yep. Funky. There's a song on there, "Good Morning Little Schoolgirl." Of course, man, I'm I'm like I'm like 15 years old, you know, hearing this stuff. You know, I'm like, ah, <laughs> good morning. Oh yeah, man. You know? Right. Uh, so there's all these tunes uh, that really resonated with me, and I, uh, I I didn't play harmonica at that time. I was, uh, but I I loved harmonica, and I loved Junior Wells singing because he reminded me a lot of one of my favorite singers, Louis Armstrong. Oh yeah, I really bonded with him, and 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 got into the mood of the album, and the uh, the freedom in the music. It just sounded like these guys were getting together in the middle of the night, drinking moonshine or some kind of liquor and making a record. And come to find out, that's exactly what they were doing. (laughs) I guess that record was recorded in the middle of the night in Chicago. They'd already done a gig. They went to the studio and they cut the album. So they had already been feeling good. They already had some sure. drinks and they're already warmed up, ready to go. And they cut it like a jazz record. They cut it live and they they cut it all in the, you know, in in in, in a night. And that's the album. Now that begs the question: How do you know that story? Did you talk to Buddy Guy about it, or where did you hear the information? I can't remember who told me all this information. Okay, but I, I do know Buddy. And I do know Bob Kester from Delmark, God rest his soul. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I do know Elvin Bishop, who used to work with uh, Junior Wells. And I and I've talked about that album with many different people. So I don't know who who gave me that information, but uh, yeah, that, that's what I heard. Just kind of cool to know the backstory of it. Well, John, I I would have to turn back just a little bit here and step back to a little more of the beginning. Talk about your earliest musical influence. Who are they? Who were they? And how did they help you shaping your musical journey as you grew? My parents and my brother and sister, really, and my godmother. My godmother, she would come over to the house every day. She was my mom's best friend. She was a concert pianist that, uh, man, she got stage fright. Oh, wow. And uh, she graduated from Sherwood Music School in Chicago uh, with a degree as a concert pianist. And she got her show all ready to go. And she was ready to go out and, and travel and perform. And she got stage fright and she couldn't do it. Wow. But like, get this, like once a year when my mom had like decided to invite too many people over to her house for dinner, like Mm -hmm. on a holiday, my mom was freaking out, trying to get the place clean, get all the food cooked. Um, My godmother would help her out, you know, to get everything ready. She would get behind the piano and at the house and she would perform a concert. Wow. And so she'd play for a couple hours straight and her emotional sense and attachment to the melody was greatness. And so once a year, you know, from the time I was a baby till, uh, till I was probably 18 years old, I would get a show once a year from her. And that, it, that blew my mind. And I, man, she, the way she, and she would, it's like out of nowhere, not even reading music, yeah. just sit down at the piano in takeoff. Absolutely. Uh, it's so cool to hear that story. Yeah. So it was my godmother. And then um, my mom used to love all the crooners. Okay. She listened to the crooners. Um, she was a big Doris Day fan, a fan of Bing Crosby. And so uh, those were those were her two, two big favorites. And she had watched the Lawrence Welk show. <laughs> I'd watch that, you know, so I'd get into... Uh, the joy and happiness and champagne bubbles of that. Oh yeah. Then there was my father who he listened to Hungarian music. Oh my. 
traditional Hungarian music. And uh, that music has been ripped off probably more than any other music in the world. Melodies, famous melodies have been taken from that music. And it's very harmonically jazz forward. So he didn't like American jazz music or blues, but what he liked was European, like Hungarian jazz, basically. So he would listen to that, and every morning he'd wake up and he'd put that music on. And some of the stuff is breakneck speed, like like Charlie Parker kind of stuff. Okay. And he would put that music on. He'd do his calisthenics every morning. Wow. Uh, for minutes to that music so every morning i'd get a dose of that like at 6 30 in the morning seeping into my brain through osmosis so you had a really and, really uh wide variety of music that you were impacted by growing up yes yeah oh absolutely and then my brother he loved he loved like outlaw country music and and 70s rock he was 14 years older than me, and so he was in high school in the 70s when I was born. So he listened to, like, Johnny Paycheck and Waylon Jennings sure. and Aerosmith and the Rolling Stones and all that. And then my sister, she liked all the Broadway music and, like, Broadway rock, like, you know, like Grease, you know, Livia Newton-John, sure. ABBA. So... Yeah, I got I got everything from everywhere. It was cool, and and it definitely changed me and made me a big music fan. You are listening to Time Signatures with Jim Irvin. I am pleased to have John Namath here in the, well, not in the studio with me, but he's he's here with me, uh, being recorded at uh, at my home out here in Mason, Michigan. Why? Because I can record just about anywhere I want, which is kind of fun, but. Uh, we have got a lot to get to here. John, you released Jack of Harps in 2002. You actually uh, had Come and Get It in 2004, featuring Junior Watson. And uh, you then took off for Fr uh, San Francisco, where you connected with Anson Funderburg and the Rockets. And I'd like you to talk about that period of your young career and how did the stint in California influence your music as you grew? It was really great moving to California because there were so many musicians dedicated to the art of performing blues. Mm -hmm. And so when I moved down there, I was working with so many different artists. Uh, there were all these guitar players that needed singers. So I worked with Kid Anderson. I worked with uh, Mighty Mike Shermer. I worked with uh, Anthony Paul. Kenny Blu-ray and uh, Elvin Bishop. Mm -hmm. And I was working with these cats and the word about me was just, I guess, taken off around the country. I, I, uh, I was not really aware of who was, you know, familiar with me or not. And um, I got a call from Anson Thunderbird to uh, fill in for Sam Myers. Okay. Mississippi, uh, legendary blues man that fronted the band i jumped at that opportunity so i i uh, went to uh, dallas texas and learned all of sam's tunes about 30 of the songs wow got together with the band and uh, we went down through the south and toured some of the greatest gigs i've ever done were those gigs especially the one at the Delta Blues Festival in Greenville, Mississippi, was just great. I mean, the audience, you know, blues is their religion, blues is their language. The um, crowd interaction with the music, every line I would say would get a reaction out of the audience. So it was really great. I'll never forget it. Changed the way I sang the blues. You know, I have to ask you, because you and I spoke about this before we began recording this evening, the the blues in the United States versus the blues across the pond in, in Europe is a totally different animal, isn't it? Um, I would say over in Europe, there's uh, 
probably a lot more respect for the music mm -hmm. because uh, it's not native to the area. And uh, it's it's really cool, you know. Uh, the the gig opportunities are are fantastic over there, and and the uh, the crowds are a lot bigger for the mm. shows than here in the U.S. But the U.S. has been very good to me, maybe better than a lot of other artists. And um, I think part of that is because I'm a singer and a songwriter, right? And I'm someone that you know communicates the music, and I'm keeping it fresh. So here in the states, people, you know, I, I do well in the states too. But I think for a lot of the uh, older artists performing, a lot of the older blues, they do well over there in Europe. Mm -hmm. In Europe, just loves just guitar rock blues man they just eat that up like it's going out of business man they just they just love it they probably love that more than the songwriting itself well you know i i was sitting here looking at my notes because um it's been said that you have the uncanny ability to skillfully blend retro and modern blues and soul into compelling music that is simultaneously old and new. And just listening to you share the stories about your blues journey really bears that out. I think that, um, that it's, it's kind of cool because there are people who are blues purists who just want the old traditional blues. And then there's the people that like to do the fusion with the soul and, and different things, a little funk, a little rock, different things like that. Where do you fall on that spectrum? I love to interpret black music. Uh, so I draw from so much of the blues of all the decades. I love soul music. Right. Uh, Percy Sledge and, uh, and a blues singer named Magic Sam were actually my introduction to singing soul music. Okay. And I think, you know, combining those styles makes me more palatable to a, a a bigger audience. Although I would I would love to try to do just a real just straight up blues show. I, I don't I don't know if it would sell the tickets. Uh, even Buddy Guy, you know, I mean he's doing Jimi Hendrix and John Hyatt and <laughs> Yes he is. And everything under the sun, you know, and the moment he started doing all that music was the moment that he became the guy that's making a hundred thousand dollars a show. Yeah. So, um, I think, you know, as time moves on, musical tastes, you know, start to differ. And especially since there's, there's really no blues on the radio, especially commercial radio, you have to familiarize yourself as an artist with the, uh, with, the uh, the needs and desires of the audiences. Yeah, and I think a lot of the artists today are they're becoming better attuned at reading the audience, and I, I think that's why we're seeing a lot more of that that fusion. Uh, Joe Bonamassa comes to to mind. Even even the younger artists like uh, uh, Toby Lee, who's coming up. He's eighteen years old, and he he does some incredible blues stuff. And then uh, Matthias Latine, who just won the IBC uh, this year down in Memphis. I mean, it, it seems like there's there's definitely some growth. There's some, um, it's reemergence, I guess, of blues with some various twists to it. Would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. I think there's, uh, I think there's a lot of new talent in the blues. There was very, very, very few people into blues when I was getting into it. I mean, trying to find other musicians that played blues in the uh, in the '90s was uh, was pretty rare. Mm -hmm. Stevie Ray Vaughan being so popular. Yep, there were a lot of kids that tried to emulate Stevie Ray Vaughan, but there weren't a bunch of drummers or bass players, piano players, or people playing the, the other instruments. I think with YouTube and streaming um, has really opened the door for a lot of young talent to discover new music. 
and of course, and then they incorporate the music that they that they were raised in. Sure. And some kids are raised in blues, modern blues these days. Like here in Memphis, we have a station, a blues station here, WDIA, which has been around ever since BB King was just a was a little tiny tot, and uh, they're still playing blues. Um, we had the Tri-State Blues Festival a week ago down here, and I, I, I was performing somewhere else. And that's a huge blues festival. There's probably five or 6,000 people at the venue. And uh, the modern blues music has a lot more soul in it than the, uh, the, the soul genre in it. Um, but, yeah, there's, there's talent everywhere. They're coming up through the ranks. I just wish there was more avenues for success for those guys. You know, a lot of those guys like Matthias Lapine and sure. those guys, you know, they don't have the they don't have the money like Joe Matamasa has to make themselves a star. That's fact. Um, yep. But guys like Gary Clark, you know, that's a really talented cat who uh you know, that came up through Austin and the great Austin uh, uh music scene there. And he's done really great with his music. He might be, uh, although maybe not, maybe the boomer audience doesn't like to consider him a blues artist, but I would <laughs> consider him probably the biggest next to Buddy Guy. Well, John, it has been an honor. I think I'm going to have you hang around for another take on this. Um, but real quick, do me a favor and let us know where we can find more information on you. Where can we get your music and your goodies and, and book you for a show? Well, you can go to johnnamath.com and uh, J-O-H-N-N-E-M-E-T-H dot C-O-M. And if you want to book me, you can find information there to uh, contact my booking agent and my publicist and everybody like that and uh, get whatever you need. Sounds good. John, we want to thank you very much for being on Time Signatures. That's going to wrap it up for this edition. We want to thank everybody for tuning in and helping us keep the blues alive. We will see you on the next round. This has been Time Signatures with Jim Irvin, presented by the Capital Area Blues Society in Lansing, Michigan. For more information on cabs, visit capitalareablues.org. You can find this episode and past episodes at lccconnect.org. The Time Signatures theme song, Michigan Roads, is used by permission and was written by Root Doctor, featuring Freddie Cunningham. Until next time, keep on keeping the blues alive. Examining the issues and topics that affect our lives from the local level to the world stage. Listen to the programs of LCC Connect anytime at lccconnect.org. LCC Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. Every year, the Dental Hygiene Clinic at Lansing Community College provides essential services to people in the mid-Michigan community. Open to the public, the clinic is led by a licensed dental faculty and provides a platform for LCC dental students with the opportunity to hone their dental hygiene skills. Associated fees apply to the clinic services. To find more information, visit lcc.edu slash dental clinic. To protect his home and family from disaster, Steve used courage, wisdom, and his camera phone. That should do it. Way to go, Steve. By simply taking digital pictures of his family's important documents, Steve can always have them stored safely online, no matter when disaster strikes. Learn other simple ways to protect your home and family before a natural disaster at ready.gov. That's ready.gov. A message from FEMA and the Ad Council. The Adult Enrichment Program at LCC offers classes in watercolor, creative welding, motorcycle safety, photography, and more. All classes are non-credit. Information about the Adult Enrichment Program is available at lcc.edu slash keeplearning. LCC. Connect. Voices. Vibes. 
vision. This is Bob Myers from the Historical Society of Michigan with a Michigan History Moment. In 1912, the White Star Liner RMS Titanic struck an iceberg and sank in the North Atlantic. More than 1,500 people lost their lives. Dozens of Michigan residents were aboard. Some survived. Many did not. In Washington, Michigan Senator William Alden Smith of Grand Rapids asked what the United States government planned to do. The answer? Not much. When the rescue ship Carpathia docked in New York, the Titanic's crew would return to England. And that was that. But the public wanted answers. Had third-class passengers been kept from the lifeboats? How had White Star's managing director, J. Bruce Ismay, managed to survive when so many passengers drowned? Why did the wireless operators on the Carpathia ignore desperate queries, even from President Taft? Smith took action. A friend, Sheriff Joe Bayless from Sault Ste. Marie, was in Washington on business. Smith asked him where he was going. Back to the Sioux, said Bayless. No, you're not, said the senator. Smith deputized Bayless. And when the Carpathia docked in New York, Bayless slapped subpoenas on Ismay, the Titanic's officers, and her crew. On April 19, just four days after Titanic sank, Senator Smith opened the U.S. inquiry. It was held in New York City's Waldorf Astoria Hotel. For 18 days, Smith and his committee probed for answers. Their questions eventually revealed the truth. No, third-class passengers had not been kept from lifeboats, but they had little assistance in reaching them. The Titanic was not trying to break a speed record but she did steam into an ice field at nearly full speed. Wireless operators paid more attention to passengers' messages than ice warnings. The Titanic carried more lifeboats than regulations required, but not nearly enough for everyone on board. Some people who attended the hearings ridiculed Senator Smith's apparent ignorance of the maritime world. When he asked 5th Officer Harold Lowe, do you know what an iceberg is composed of? Lowe had replied, ice, I suppose, sir. But Smith had learned that icebergs also contained rock and dirt. Other questions originated with victims' families. Smith already knew the answers, but he needed to ask the questions in a hearing and have them answered publicly. Victims' families wanted to know. Out of Smith's hearings came new laws, still in effect today. Ships would have to carry lifeboats for everyone on board. Ice patrols would locate icebergs, and wireless operators would thereafter comply with strict rules. William Alden Smith served in the Senate until 1919. He died that same year. The hamlet of Alden, Michigan, near Traverse City, bears his name. This Michigan History Moment was brought to you by MichiganHistoryMagazine.org. Keep connected with LCC Connect at lccconnect.org. LCC Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. K-12 Operations at Lansing Community College is a proud collaborator of the Lansing Promise Scholarship available to graduating high school seniors. Find information at lcc.edu slash hope. When our son and his wife had children, we thought he would settle down. We didn't know his drinking problems were just getting started. I don't know why he would choose alcohol over his beautiful family. In retirement, I thought my husband and I would enjoy going places and doing things together. Our son's drinking seriously interfered with our plans. All of a sudden, we worried about our grandchildren, and we didn't know what to do or where to go for help. Our son's attorney suggested we try Al-Anon family groups. I didn't want to go because Al-Anon met at a church, but I found out Al-Anon isn't part of any religion. Al-Anon is a spiritual program, not a religious organization. Sometimes they use meeting rooms in hospitals, churches, or schools. I'm glad we tried Al-Anon family groups right here in our community. Is someone's drinking troubling you? You might be surprised at what you can learn in an Al-Anon family group from people just like you. Call 1-888-4-ALANON or go to alanon.org. Lansing Community College's Business and Community Institute provides businesses with customized, synergistic trainings that realize logistical opportunity. 
Learn more about the future of business today at lcc.edu bci. LCC. Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. It's time for Stars on Sports, a podcast radio show dedicated to sharing stories about our athletic program at Lansing Community College. LCC Athletics has a strong tradition. 23 national championship wins. Over 170 All-Americans. 19 MCCAA All-Sports Trophies. Stars on Sports will introduce you to individuals that have contributed to our program's success and give you the backstory on what it takes to develop it. We'll also dive into and break down the topics and issues facing athletic departments across the nation and right here at LCC. This is Stars on Sports. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Stars on Sports. As usual, I'm joined by our assistant athletic director and baseball coach, Stephen Cutter. And Stephen, today we're going to be talking about a myriad of topics, but, you know, we're, we're, as we record this podcast, it's, it's, we're starting another year, and as you know, we've talked about in previous podcasts of the excitement of that, but yes. the, the one thing we forget are all the, the external things that impact our program or our sports and, and specifically um, what student athletes bring. I mean, we have a lot of new students coming on campus. We have a lot of returners, you know, it's usually a 50, 50 ratio to be, be generic. And, you know, and we think we know what we get with those returners and there's a lot of excitement or hope for our new student athlete that come on campus. But um, you know, there's a lot of things that can impact them. And, and we had a conversation that I would like to expand a little bit on that just, you know, are one that even move here and have to deal with roommates and, and what a, what a change that is for them. And, you know, they probably forget, they probably had those same arguments with their brother and sister at home, whether they're messy or not messy. But when we're trying to compete for championships on and off the field, how, how much off the field does impact on the field performance and um, the good programs I think spend time dealing with that but we even talked about how much uh, how time consuming that can be you know for coaches if they really um, invest in their student athletes and one of my pieces of advice for coaches has always been to talk to every player every day and how difficult that would be for you when you have over 50 on your roster for this coming year but I know you do and I know you or you you break it down with your staff but but one of the ways by talking to every student every day is you find out things about them. And, and you know, I went to a great, as I tell you, a seminar years ago about the presentation was everyone has a backpack and they, everyone brings a backpack to work. And what's in that backpack? And are they going to open it up and let it out? And, and sometimes it just comes out. I mean, you, you, and you, or you can see it. You can read their face or you can. Body language. Yeah, body mm-hmm. language is, is a huge you know, piece of evidence for that. So as we record this, we've had a lot go on in our area um, in the last week with, with storms and, and other things um, that have impacted the lives of our student athletes that, you know, it just takes you, you know, one sit back and reflect and, and realize that, you know, there's a lot going on and, and it's much bigger than baseball or basketball or volleyball or running. And, challenging for a coach to try and deal with that yet still try and get them to perform um, at the highest level as we really start to get into our competition season. So do you think that's more common at the the beginning of the season because you're getting to know student athletes and put a a team together or that it pretty frequent throughout um, your tenure in a program during the year? It seems like it's it's pretty frequent. Really believe that if you're self-aware enough, you know, coaches, administrators, or anybody else, they're, we're also wearing backpacks. And if something's going on at home or whatever, that everybody's aware that affects, you know, your job and what you're doing or, or can affect it and can affect it really seriously. So the same applies for student athletes. And sometimes their, their issues that they have are extremely large. And sometimes they're, 
really not that large, but they're they're very important to them. And you know, we we've experienced a lot of different things in, just in the baseball program alone. In the few short weeks that we've been going, we had players that couldn't get into apartments, so their their parents are paying for motels for them to stay in for a couple of weeks. Some some players are sleeping on floors. Um, because you know there a lot of them do not are not from the Lansing area you know say so they, they had to do a lot of that some now they're in apartments they just got in a, a couple days ago and now they're dealing with the whole uh, you know a whole lot of other things and then we go to the other side of the gamut and some kids are dealing with death and, and you know so it's it's a whole mixture and I think once you start asking questions and start asking better questions you start finding out more and and then you you get a lot more but that that also puts a lot more on a, a coach's plate once you start getting that and i think that's a a valid point i you know as as an athletic director i worry about both our coaches and our student athletes and i've seen it impact student athletes but you're right it also impacts our coaches our coaches are bringing backpacks every day and you know i try and tell coaches but i think it, it's tough in our business that you got to take care of yourself before you can take care of others and and that's not always the case and that's you know i think one of the positive things that came from the pandemic is the learning to you know that the you know the old you know tough mentality you know i can fight through anything that you have to listen to your body or you have to find time to take care of yourself that you know, coaches aren't really good at that because um, they spend so much time worrying about kids and worrying about um, the health and well-being and the performance of student athletes. And it's constant, as we've talked about before on this podcast, that it's, you know, 24-7, 365. I mean, you get calls at 730 in the morning and 11 o'clock at night, depending on, you know, what what's going on in your program, whether with the facility, whether with a student athlete dealing with something outside of your sport but you know coaches have that same thing and we forget about that sometimes and it's important it's more important for a leader i mean leaders have to take care of others that um it's hard but you, you have to take care of yourselves and and i've experienced that before you know flying which you know i used to be anxious about that you know if i'm anxious and something happened on the plane it was it'd be hard for me to take care of that person because i, I i'm worried about me yeah, so great example um so yeah i mean we have to worry about coaches and it starts with them to be able to take care of student athletes. But the other thing that you hit on too, that's interesting to me that I haven't processed is routine and the schedule. And I think there is a little more anxiety at the beginning of the season and, and figuring things out. Cause you mentioned um, moving in and hotels and, and getting classes started, but you know, we're a creature of habit. And, and after a week or two, you probably sit in the same chair every day in the classroom. You, you park in the same spot in the parking ramp, you know, and we practice at the same time every day, mostly, you know, so, you know, we become a creature of habit to try and eliminate some of those uncertainties. And, you know, you see a lot of coaches that um, try and really eliminate the peripherals and the external things so they can focus on that sport. But back to my original premise that that's not realistic that, you know, even as much as you try and put our student athletes in a controlled environment, you know, there are so many things unless they live in a bubble, which we did in the pandemic, you know, that, you know, there are things that are going to impact them getting a bad grade on a test, you know, breaking up with a boyfriend or girlfriend, I mean, can can ruin someone's day, most likely does ruin their day, and that impacts probably how they practice. And um, do you worry about it more against, you know, maybe certain, like, times of year, like, you know, at the end of the season, there's, you know, postseason events mm -hmm. and that, that do you focus any differently on that or – yeah, we certainly try to limit distractions as much as possible at those crucial points, but trying to limit distractions throughout somebody's whole playing career or season or whatever is just not really possible. You know, there's so many things that come up and, and without without mental toughness, mental performance, different things, they really, really affect people. We had we had a group of players that came into a practice a about a week ago and they were pretty upset and they were upset because um, once they got into their apartment the air conditioning wasn't working it was, it was when it was really hot you know and but everybody else was just their apartment so there was just four of them affected you know so it was a big deal to them you know and so you're just not going to prevent all that stuff but it's more about not what happens to you but how you're going to respond to it and it's and that's a great saying but 
it's super challenging and you have to work really hard at that too because you know somebody smashes your thumb with a hammer and you got to respond to um that's okay i know you didn't do it on purpose it still hurts and you got to figure out how to how to deal with that and again we we've talked a lot about ero you know event plus response equals outcome and you know the, the how stressful that can be i mean as you know we've talked about too the coach's stress of of dealing with those those particular incidences that it wears on you you know that if your kid had a family member that had a significant injury or you know you can tell that they're hurting that that's that added stress to you so you have to handle that and if you have multiple because it's not just one kid on your team or more that it it became it can become a a time-consuming very difficult situation that um, does take away from the sport, but it, it is something you sign up for when you are um, working with student athletes, adults, people in general. And, you know, it can be the most rewarding experience if you look at maybe what the outcome is from that experience. And, and the nice thing about today in sports is, is the resources available um, um, at different levels too of, of the, you know, the, you know, like LCC had the good counseling staff, they have right. success coaches that, you know, there, there are different resources that we can help send them to though. It doesn't always fall on yes. the coach. And, and that's important. And you've seen it at the highest level of athletics where each program has their own within their program. Right. I mean, and you know, you in your program have a nutritional coach and a, a sports performance and a middle per, mental right. performance, um, people helping out. So, you know, it, that helps a coach if they have right. resources that available to them to, to help solve some of these issues or take some of that responsibility, um, off the coach, because, you know, added stress is not a healthy for any part for your mind, your heart, your body, that if you want to, you know, be the best that you can be, which we, you know, talk about every day trying to, to be. And, you know, that's the other thing I think, you know, athletic does a nice job of helping, participants learn for life as we always talked about life lessons on this podcast and that again that's my biggest reason why i'm in this field is i think it really teaches life lessons for these kids to be able to handle it you know losing a baseball game is much less and different than losing a a family member but losing a baseball game can help them handle that adversity in life hopefully and as we talked about dealing with weather events that the more practice you have of it the better you get at it you know the better i get at parking the more practice i i have at it and (laughs) there's a lot of people now that the parking ramp's full that need some practice at it but you know the same with you know like we talk about in michigan you know how different in Lansing compared to the west side of how much snow and how much you deal with and how much different it is down south if they get a a trace of snow they're mm-hmm. like panicking and right. and and we experienced that some of this this last weekend with the the wind and the storm that Tornadoes. came through and, and you were in a tornado in a press box right i was it was scary i was wow. at the mason football game on thursday night and i went up to help them out in the press box to close it and by the time i got was able to get out of there i couldn't because the storm was coming in thankfully the storm was going north to south instead of east to west or west to east or i would think i would have been blown across the football field is one of the scariest events I've been in. And I've been in many different weather issues in, in my tenure here, but that was, it was, that was a bad storm. And so if that happens again on Thursday or Friday night, say Mason's playing at home again, which I don't know if they are, but would you do anything differently? No. I mean, you know, like my family was mad at me for helping out when I wasn't even supposed to be working, but that's just the nature. I want to help people out. So I went up there to help take care of that particular area. I would, you know, you don't know, it came in fast. I mean, that's, you know, again, something that, you know, you've been there with in weather with, Mm -hmm. you know, baseball games. And Mm -hmm. there's sometimes you get to your car before it pours and there's sometimes you're drenched by the time you get there. And we, I would last year in baseball, I got drenched running to the, the concession area and so it happens in our you try and minimize that the more um you're in it you 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 get better at it and you know the technology helps us with the apps on our phones and such but and you know we can debate as we've talked about well you know someone acted soon enough or not soon enough Mm -hmm. to to make that happen but it's still scary regardless and and so you think well you're done with it that night but no you know now there's no power you know fences are down and 
you know, you got to figure out how to, you know, they had to move the game to a different facility the next day. And, and we've been there. You have to, you, again, problem solving. And that's another thing we like about this business is that you got to figure out how to get it done. Out. So, and you were at that game, but you were able to, the, to get out before. And I was, co- my wife wasn't, but I right. was. So, yeah. See, they're know. back to the <laughs> conversation about what kind of yep. husband you are. Yep. Gotta, <laughs> gotta get out. <laughs> yeah, I know. But, and their car's still sitting in there because they, they're probably safer sitting in the parking lot than mm. trying to get home. But in this business, you know, you, you don't ever want to say you see it all, but a lot of things do happen that are out of your control that you, you still have to handle. And, and it, as you and I have talked about, accept that reality of where it is. And, and that's your starting point on how to handle moving forward and, and making the best of it, even if it's not what you want it to be. Right. And that's so true about your season too. Right. Um, talking about making the best of it. I, is Urban Meyer a pretty good coach in your eyes? Well, that's, I'm not the biggest fan of okay. Urban Meyer. I mean, he's been a successful coach. He's won national championships. I, I bring it up because Swamp Kings is on Netflix right now, and it's it's very, very popular. I think it's number two right now, most watched, and crazy that I know that. <laughs> but... Um, very interesting to watch that. And there's a lot of the student athletes that I've spoken with have watched it as well. And I I think one of the more amazing things to me is they've all given me their, or us, their perspectives on that. Mm -hmm. And they're all significantly different Mm -hmm. in their perspectives of, of what they've watched. And they all watch the same thing, which I think goes back into like the, you know, police used to talk about this in, in training and stuff that you could, so you could have an event and seven people could see it and they could interview all seven people and they would get different descriptions of what happened, what they were wearing, who did it, you know, stuff like that Mm -hmm. and how inaccurate that, that can be. But the perception too, is you think that you're watching something that is pretty black and white, whether it's with the Swamp Kings or anything else, Mm -hmm. a game that's a contest that's taking place in our gym or anything else. And people have extremely different perspectives. And and that's what crazy. I love about sports. And I can't wait to watch Swamp Kings, even though I'm not a big Urban Meyer fan. I still like learning from those things and learning like what made him a successful coach on the field, I think. you know, And, and he's got some great leadership qualities. I just think he just brought a different perspective. And my own opinion is, you know, he was from a different conference that recruited and did things differently and brought that mentality to the Big Ten and changed some things. And there's no right way or wrong way. I mean, I mean, unless you're breaking rules, but you know, that's one of my favorite things about sports is like you and I could be sitting and watching a game. Let's say we're watching a football game. And I could say, that's the worst offense I've ever seen. And you could say, no, that's the best defense I've ever seen. And, you know, and just, just the, the totally different perspective of, of that contest and what people walk away feeling from. And, and it, it creates fanaticism. It, it creates um, great discussion and conversation that, Again, it, I consider it the best reality on TV, and and that's cool that that it it provides that, and it, it it's done that throughout time. You know, back to the, the Romans with gladiator fighting or circuses or the Olympics. That you know, it's a big entertainment part of our society, and one of the main reasons why is just you know one of my um, favorite quotes of all time is it's 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 not good to see the world through one set of eyes, but realistically we see the world through one set of eyes nice. and, and it's contradictory, but, um, to we, your point, we seek less to understand and more to be understood. And when you can kind of flip that or try as, as hard as you can to, to flip that piece, you see different perspectives and, and it might not necessarily align with yours, but you can actually see it. You can feel it a little bit. You can feel when, you can have a little bit of empathy when the air conditioning is not working and it's 92 degrees, you know, mm-hmm. you can feel that a little bit cause you've, you've been there at one point or another, maybe not in that situation, but a different, you can have some empathy when kids are dealing with death or, or anything else in between those two things. And you can feel that a little bit versus trying to be understood. You can, you can work on trying to understand. Well, about back to even the perspectives on Swamp King, your experience, your nature, your nurture, well, the things that you bring to the table that help you look at things will help lead to what you see. And if, you know, if you grew up a Florida fan, you would like Urban Meyer. If you grew up maybe not liking Florida, you might not like it I don't as know. well. I don't know. If, I mean, he I'm only, just, he, an example. I think he only won one national championship, right? Um, 
that's a good question. Yeah, I think he did. Yeah. yeah, and his last few years there weren't very good. So no, I, I he think had if a lot you're, of field, I think you're field for, issues. But he won uh, one at Ohio State too, though. I right. Believe. But if you're a Florida but, fan, your standards at UF were at least in those times were much higher. So only winning one wasn't enough. I think Urban <laughs> in in one of those is like you know now that we've won a national championship. I'm just going to have a lot of joy in my coaching and everything. And because it slayed the dragon <laughs> and things will, things yeah. will be easy moving forward. And he was uh, talking about it in retrospect and he said, oh, I was so wrong thinking that. Well, we, we've talked about that, about, right. you know, when you win something at a high level, is it, are you satisfied or do you want more? Is it what you thought it would be? And that's about more about, the standards off the scoreboard than on the scoreboard that, you know, it's harder to win that second one. People believe, you know, and absolutely. And, and, but and we take for granted winning with, that first one, not, with, not how many coaches have won a national championship. Very know? few. Exactly. Very few. You know, so he's got more than a lot of college football mm-hmm. coaches out there. So, right. um, but, but yeah, if, I would look if you're, forward. if you're eating something you really like and you take one bite, are, are you just going to take one bite? Well, you, if you're going after something that you really want, which it might be excellence or, or a championship or, you know, a 4.0 or whatever, and you get one, uh, do, do you just want one bite or do you want a couple bites of what you, what you really want? And and that's that's why it looks like that. Well, that's very interesting because I'm competitive, and I would think Urban Meyer's competitive that one is never enough. I'm always like, if you're looking forward or looking backward of, of wanting that next one, but accomplishing something of that magnitude, you know, could be, you know, a lot. And you've been there, you know, like um, being relieved instead of, you know, like mm-hmm. excited just because of the pressure of, you know, back again to the where we yes. started the the yeah. outside, the external factor mm-hmm. that that impact, you know, what is on or off the field. There's a lot in people's backpacks. There sure is. So again, what a great conversation as usual. Unfortunately, we didn't get our buddy Dedalion in today, but we will next time. And until then, go Stars. Stars on Sports is recorded live at the WLNZ studios. Engineering and production assistance are provided by Dedalion Lowry. You can listen to this episode and other episodes of Stars on Sports on demand at lccconnect.org. To find more information about our athletic program, visit lccstars.com. Thanks for listening. Go Go Stars. Featuring the faculty, staff, students, and others that help to make Lansing's premier college what it is today. LCC Connect, Mid-Michigan's connection to Lansing Community College. To find out more about our featured programs or to listen on demand, visit us at lccconnect.org. LCC Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. Engaged learning and academic success is a priority at Lansing Community College. To help students navigate their educational career, LCC has created a proactive approach to learning and providing students with several academic support services. To find out what's available, visit lcc.edu services. Hey there, this is Dedalian, and I want to invite you to join me for a show called Behind the Connection. It dives into what's happening behind the scenes here at LCC Connect. It also provides you early introductions to new podcasts, some of the Connect initiatives that we are putting forth, and of course, insights into the concept of building the voices, vibes, and vision of LCC Connect. Find out more about it at our website. It's lccconnect.org. your children's eyes to see the true magic of a forest. It's a storybook world for them. You look and see a tree. They see the wrinkled face of a wizard with arms outstretched to the sky. They see treasure and pebbles. They see a windy path that could lead to adventure. And they see you, their fearless guide to this fascinating world. Find a forest near you and start exploring at discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council. 
Lansing Community College welcomes transfer students. Transfer students may apply prior credits toward their LCC degree, certificate, or transfer program. Learn more at lcc.edu slash youbelong. LCC. Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. It's time for another edition of Equity. Equity is a play on words spelled E-Q-U-I-T-E-A. Why? Because I just love sharing knowledge over a good cup of tea. Equity is designed to provide you and I with tips on issues surrounding diversity, equity, and inclusion to enhance your everyday life. Today's topic on equity is simply entitled, From Ally to Accomplice, Six Tips on Taking Action. Lily Watson is a visual artist, activist, and educator who has dedicated her life to educating people nationally and internationally about the abnormal knowledge and culture. Her famous quote is this, If you have come here to help me, you are wasting your time. But if you have come because you are a liberation or your liberation is bound up in mine, then let us work together. Lily Watson really frames today's conversation of moving from just being an ally to an accomplice very, very well. Her work around liberty, of how it binds us together, is a collective belief of how our common humanity unites us all. Uh, Therefore, this topic really resonates, especially according to Rochester Racial Justice Toolkit, which defines allyship as a proactive, ongoing, and incredibly important practice of unlearning and reevaluating in every situation on how we can stand in solidarity. Uh, This is a very important time for us to look at allyship uh, so that we have an understanding of how we can continue to grow in this work called humanity one with another. So what is it about being an accomplice that's different than being an ally? For an ally, it is about making sure that you are speaking up and standing out, whereas accomplice serves as a disruptor to the status quo. You see the difference there? And especially with being an accomplice, it focuses on addressing oppressive behaviors and systematic issues. Historically, we can see this during the Freedom Rise of the summer of 1961, where we had a multi-group of individuals from various backgrounds coming together and taking a stand in the southern states to protest and do it in a nonviolent way. This is a great example of what it looks like to go from being an ally to being an accomplice. But I want to give you these six tips before we go today so that we can all walk boldly into accompliceship. Number one, go beyond rhetoric. It's okay to put on paper and even to say verbally what you will do to stand up for some other groups that are different than yours or that are being marginalized. But remember, being an accomplice is taking action. Number two, recognize and understand your privilege. Privilege is defined as having any advantage that is unearned, exclusive, and socially conferred. Be sure that you are understanding what your privileges are and using them for the advantages on behalf of others. Number three, listen and do your own homework. Don't rely on marginalized communities to do the homework for you. To be an accomplice means you're going to have to listen as well as do your homework. The next one, number four, you must be open and willing to learn, which means you must be able to say, I don't know what I don't know. Take advantage of of reading, watching films, getting involved in dialogue and discussions, and of course, listening to equity tips every chance you get. Uh, Next, you got to also be willing to stand up and to also speak out, but not over. Using your voice is very powerful, but don't allow your voice to overpower others. Next, use your privilege to advocate for the communities who you wish to support. And then finally, you'll also need to recognize that you'll make mistakes, but apologize and move forward. Everyone makes mistakes, and this is not the perfect work. It's about just doing the work. I hope these tips is helping you and I to understand the importance of being an ally, but even more important, being an accomplice. I want to thank you for listening and taking a sip today of tea. That's equity, that is. This episode today was entitled From Ally to Accomplice. 
We hope you will join us next time for another edition of Equity. Why? Because I just love sharing knowledge over a good cup of tea. We'll see you next time. This has been a presentation of LCC Connect, a weekly program that features the voices, vibes, and vision of Lansing Community College. All shows featured on LCC Connect are recorded at the WLNZ studio located on LCC's downtown campus. Each program is podcast-based and can be heard anytime at lccconnect.org. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on one of our shows, connect with us by emailing lcc-connect at lcc.edu.